Okay. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing on this fine summer day? All right. Okay. Anyway, God, God bless you. Um, I'm excited about this morning as we continue our series this morning. Just a couple of announcements to get started. We do have our LEO's discipleship, our, our other words, Bible classes this week, uh, Wednesdays and Wednesday and Thursday. We start at 6.30 for worship, and then the, the teaching starts at 7 o'clock. Um, and then we have our Bible study tonight, a uh, uh, better way to pray, uh, both our Saturday and Sunday night. Uh, Saturday and Sunday night Bible studies are growing and uh, are full, but feel free to come anytime. You will get something out of it. Uh, so tonight at 6 o'clock uh, here, and then uh, we have our Pastina group on every Saturday at 7.30 in Pastina. You just have to contact us for details on that one. Um, I just also want to invite everyone again uh, to uh, Saturday the 21st, and that's uh, coming up right around the corner here, where we have Peter and Donna Falsgraf. They're missionaries in Kenya. Uh, we've met them through Andrew Womack Ministries, so they're followers of Andrew. And uh, Peter's going to come te be teaching us a little seminar on our discovering our identity, our discovering your identity. It's going to be a good uh, afternoon from 12 to 5. That's Saturday uh, the 21st from 12 to 5 p.m. And we'll have uh, Peter and Donna here. We'll have some refreshments as well. And uh, uh, just a good time of fellowship, worship. And good teaching from uh, uh, Peter and Donna. So anyway, hope you can make that. Uh, you're also invited online if you can come. And uh, we probably will uh, more likely live stream the teaching uh, that day. So uh, we'll put that on uh, the worship. We won't, won't be able to because of copyright issues. But the, but the, the teaching we will definitely have on, uh, on, uh, on live stream. So anyway, I uh, hope you can join us for that. Um, okay, let's go ahead and get in our teaching this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to um, Acts chapter 2, our main text for this series. As we're talking about the uh, essence of spiritual maturity, and probably teaching it from a, a, a perception that maybe you haven't thought of before, and uh, just the way that God has really shown me, and, and uh He's used uh, Dwayne Sheriff as the kind, of, kind of an outline to kind of put this into perspective, into words. And uh, uh, I'm just really loving this. Uh, we're going to actually have this class from Dwayne Sheriff uh, called Spiritual Growth Track in our, in our Ariel's discipleship program. So that's going to be there as well. Um, but it's just uh, in one sense, if I can put in this word, I don't like using formulas or whatnot, but it's a recipe. But I believe that to help us to grow spiritually, that we need these four attributes in our regular spiritual diet if we're going to grow and mature in Christ. Uh, they're not the source of themselves, but in many ways, it's almost like when you have a recipe, you have the herbs and spices that help bring out the flavor and help, uh, uh, it just it doesn't taste the same without it, you know? And so the main... For example, you might have a beef dish or a chicken dish, and the main course, main, uh, main piece is really the chicken or whatever, or, 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 or the meat of that, of that meal, but the herbs just bring that thing out. Uh, Sherry had a, an awesome apple pie. Obviously, the main uh, piece of that is the apples, but just the way she does the cinnamon and the, the recipe brings out that flavor. And so it just makes it something that just a drool over and some of you are already drooling right now just by mentioning it. Okay? 
So anyway, let's just jump, jump into our text again this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. I'm reading out the King James. And it says, And with many other words, excuse me, let me get the word on the screen, sorry. saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then that they then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they, these three thousand plus the hundred and twenty that were already there, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so uh, there's four things here that we've been talking about. We have the early church. When the church was born, here on the day of Pentecost, that we're reading in Acts chapter 2, as the church was born, the the first 3,120 believers, uh, uh, born-again believers that ever existed in the church, as Peter was preaching and Peter was uh, uh, teaching them, these 3,120 Continue steadfastly in four things, and that is apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. We've been talking in the last few weeks about the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and last week we, we mentioned we talked about the breaking of bread. And I'm going to continue with that this morning and hopefully get to our fourth category that we've been talking about, which is prayers, which I have a lot of information on that. But again, these are four aspects. It's one path. It's one track towards maturity. Again, as I just mentioned, these are not necessarily the, the source within themselves outside the Word of God. I guess the Apostle's doctrine, the Word of God, is our source. Because the Word of God is not the ink. The Word of God is not a doctrine, although there's doctrine in it. The Word of God is a person. Amen? But in that person, there is a teaching. And Jesus, when he commissioned and the Great Commission, he, he says, Go to all the world and make disciples of all nations. Verse 20 in Matthew 28 says, Go teach them. There were some things that Jesus told the disciples, Go teach all nations. Those disciples, as we also know as the apostles, were commanded to teach some things. Jesus, the Word of God, taught, taught them to go teach some things. And so we want to, we want to embrace the, the apostles' doctrine. We also want to embrace fellowship and the breaking of bread, which we talked a lot last week about covenant, which we'll get into again in, in, in just a minute. But then also prayers, and we're going to see that how if we continue in all four of these things, the first three will affect the fourth one. It will affect how we pray, and we will pray better prayers, and we will see better results. Because we are established on the Apostles' Doctrine. We are established in fellowship, and we'll, we'll see how that connects. And then we'll, we'll, we're established on, in, a, in a relationship with God based on covenant. And when we have those things established and we're continuing those things steadfastly, we're going to grow and we're going to mature, not in our daily walk, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others. And we're going to grow in our relationship with seeing the power of God moving in our midst. How many of you want that? 
Don't we want to have a better relationship with God? Don't we have, want to have a better relationship with others? And don't we want to have the seat experience the demonstration of God's power? And when we are establishing these four, four things, it will affect how we pray and how we live our lives. Okay? In other words, I haven't known anyone who has matured in Christ without knowing the apostles' doctrine, the New Testament, the Word of God. I haven't known anyone who has matured in Christ who doesn't have, have a regular diet <coughs> excuse me, a fellowship in, 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 again in their diet in their, uh, in their lives. We need to have these things regular in our lives. But we've also been talking about how God has also created us as relational creatures. None of us is an island to ourselves. God did not create us to be isolated. It's not just me and God. Yes, that is a starting point. But as I, and whether anyone else has a relationship with God, my relationship with God needs to be number one, and it needs to be my number one priority. But out of the overflow of that relationship with God, God did not create us to be an island to ourselves, but God created us to be relational creatures. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are the family of God, the body of Christ. He is the head, and that we need to focus on the head, but out of the overflow of that, we minister to one another. And we are ministered by one another. Okay? God did not create us to be independent of Him, which any generation we talk, as we talked about in the past, who is, is independent of God will become a warped or untoward generation. But God has also not created us to live disconnected with Him and with the body of Christ and with one another. Okay? As we were talking about last week about the breaking of bread, and that, that, that terminology is mentioned twice in this passage of Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 46. Uh, Peter, uh, or actually Luke, who wrote it, uh, mentions it twice in this section. The breaking of bread. And as, as I mentioned last week, I've always wondered growing up what that meant. And even in recent years, <coughs> I've always had this question in my mind. <coughs> Excuse me. When I'm talking about the breaking of bread, are we talking about communion as in the <coughs> Excuse me. As in the bread and the wafer, or the bread and the, the wine. Are we talking about breaking bread as having a meal together? And we talked about last week how it's both. Because the original Passover was a meal. And the, the Last Supper, which it also represents the First Communion, was a meal. And we read in Corinthians that when they had communion, it was a meal. <coughs> okay, and so and we also seen that in the in the Hebrew culture that when people had a meal together <coughs> throughout the Old and New Testament, it was like a mini covenant with one another. They didn't they didn't just have a meal with people uh, loosely. In fact, we talked about how Jesus hung out with the publicans and sinners and ate and supped with them, and how that offended the religious leaders. 
you just, in the Hebrew culture, you just didn't do that. It wasn't like a mini covenant. A meal together was very serious. But communion, it, it, the breaking the bread is about communion. It is about covenant. And we're going to get into that a little more deeper this morning. But it also was a meal together. And this whole concept of a meal, this whole concept of communion and fellowship takes our fellowship as a church to a deeper level than sometimes many of us have ever experienced. Some of us have never experienced this deep level of communion and fellowship with one another. Okay? And uh, it takes church to another level that some of us have not experienced. And in the early church, uh, they practiced this daily. Not only in the temple, but also from house to house. And not only that, but we also see in Acts chapter 2, in context, verses 44 to 45, that they had, the church had all things in common. They shared with one another, that they met one another's needs. And, uh, you know, sometimes when people see that, they, they think this is socialism. It's not socialism. It's the family of God being the family of God. They cared for one another. They loved one another. They had compassion for one another. They were being relational to one another. If there was a need, they had a supply. Uh, and to meet one another. They were out of their free will, out of their heart, they wanted to help one another. And it was not based on, on circumstance uh, or emotions. It was based on a covenant relationship with one another. God, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, who had also been poured out of the church by this time, they had a relationship with God, and out of that relationship with God, Christ in them was having a relationship with one another. Okay? And uh, I, I think we should eat more together. And I think we should have more meals together. I'm not trying to mandate something. I can't, even if I was trying to, I can't make people do that. But even in America, in the Western world, we've lost the family table. Even as natural families, we've lost that in many ways. But at the same point in time, I believe that we've also have lost that at times as a church. And we need to fellowship. And we need to break bread one with another. <coughs> and we, uh, and, uh, we, need to we need to understand afresh, first of all, a covenant relationship with God. And as we understand a covenant relationship with God, we will understand having a covenant relationship with one another. The early church continues steadfastly. They continue steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine, not only into fellowship, but they also continue steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Okay? I see a covenant, and we're going to get a little more deeper this morning about covenant. A covenant is an unbreakable agreement. It's an unending loyalty and faithfulness, which is foreign in, many, in, in, our, in our society in many ways today. When you have a covenant with one another, all assets and liabilities are mutual. The two become one in a, in a sacred oath. Now, the, the most 
famous covenant that we have outside of our relationship covenant with God is a marriage covenant. It is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not, uh, it, it's not just an agreement. And it's not just a partnership. Yes, I, and, and the partnership is part of that. But it's a covenant. It's deeper than that. It's not easily broken. It's not supposed to be. Uh, people have made it that. But it's not easily broken. And, 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 and it's an unending loyalty and faithfulness. Now, I'm not saying, as some people might be might thinking I'm teaching, is that we're supposed to have that same type of covenant relationship with one another. Yes and no. We are not married to one another. We are married to Christ. We are married to his body. And none of us has a right to say to another member of his body, I don't need you. We have a covenant relationship with God, and if we have a covenant relationship with not God, out of that covenant relationship with God, I have a covenant relationship with you. I can't dismember the body of Christ and say, God, I need you. I just don't need this member of your body. We have a covenant relationship with God, and it's not easily broken. The Bible says that we are knitted together as the body of Christ. Said, Paul talks about that in uh, second, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. We are knitted together. And so uh, when we separate, when we break that covenant, there is a, a tearing away. There is a ripping away. Uh, and so it is damaging to the body of Christ. We are in a covenant relationship, and we are therefore also in a, a mini-covenant relationship with one another. Is that making sense? Okay? Because we, we understand that we have a covenant relationship with God. He's the head, and He has a body. And when we say we are not in covenant relationship with a member of His body, we are in a sense saying we are not in covenant relationship with a member of Christ's body. You can't separate the body from the head. I don't know about you, but all the members of my body are connected together. They're knitted together. Jeremiah talks about we've been knitted and fearfully and wonderfully made in his womb. Well, we've been fearfully and made in, fearfully and wonderfully made in, 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 in spiritually speaking. That makes sense? And, I, you know, I can't just, if I don't like my arm, in a sense, I don't like Dave. I don't like a part of Dave because my arm is connected to Dave. It's not, it's not, it, you know, I don't just, it, my body doesn't go walking around without my arms. They're connected. It's part of me. Okay? We can't say to a member of the body of Christ, I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't like you. In one sense, I understand that sometimes we don't like everybody. But the Word of God has a lot to say about that. And we need to change our stinking thinking. If we don't love one another, then there's, there's a disconnect with us receiving his love. Because Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. If Christ in me is living, and Christ in me has never rejected or shunned or ostracized or dismembered anybody. He held out with the public and the sinners. Paul taught them we are to love our enemies. 
And I know sometimes people are rough and, and some people are done wrong, and I'm not saying that we have to be best friends with everybody. But nobody has any right to say to one member of this body, I don't need you. No, we need one another. God designed it that way. God designed His church that way. God designed us to need people. God relates to us on the basis of covenants. And as we learn to relate to God on the basis of covenants, His seed, His nature, that is on the inside of us, will learn to relate to one another. Not on the basis of emotion. Not on the basis of our flesh. But on the basis of covenants. When we understand we're going to get into some more scriptures on that. Okay? We've also been talking about how God has bound himself to his word. God has bound himself to us by covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we are in a covenant relationship with God. And the church, in many ways, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm trying to magnify God. But the church in many ways is struggling with their covenant relationship with God. And because we struggle at times with our covenant relationship with God, we struggle with our covenant relationship with one another. We struggle with our covenant relationships and oftentimes in our marriages. I said this last week and I want to say this tactfully this morning, but when our faith is understood on the basis of covenant with God, maturity is a byproduct. I want to say that again. When our faith is understood, where does faith come from? The Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. So when our faith is understood on the basis of covenant with God, maturity is a byproduct. I promise you that we will not grow and we will not mature in our relationship with Christ until we understand the basis of covenant. That makes sense. That's, that's a huge point I'm trying to emphasize. Psalm 138 verse 2. You don't have to turn there. But it says that God binds himself to his his word is covenant. God, God exalts, uh, magnifies His word above His name. There's some other psalms and scriptures. I'm not going to turn all those again this morning. But God binds Himself to His word. God will not break His word. He will not break His covenant. Not only will He not, He cannot. It's not in His nature. He cannot break His. And we enter into a deeper relationship with God. And we will enter into a deeper relationship with others when we realize God speaks to us in His covenant. When we mix faith with the Word of God, His Word, His promises, His covenant, we can rest assured that whatever He promised, God will perform. God will keep his word because when God says it, he binds himself to his word. 
God cannot and God will not break His word. See, once we understand that the sovereignty of God, God and His sovereignty, and I know that can be a very uh, cautious word, and I want to use that cautiously, but I want to use it in this right, I believe in this right context, but when when God and His sovereignty who is ultimately over everything, but in his, in his sovereignty had delegated some things by his word. For instance, when God in his, by his word and his sovereignty tells us to do something, God won't do it. Because in his sovereignty, he has delegated that to us. And when God, in other words, we can't do what only God can do, and God won't do and can't do what he's told us to do. That makes sense? Because God binds himself to his word by covenant. Okay? I'm just going over some notes real quick from last week, and then we're going to get some new territory here real soon here. See, in other words, we also know from John 1.1, 1, 1, and also in Hebrews chapter 1, that God has created everything by his word. Okay? But it also says in Hebrews that God upholds the whole world by the, he upholds everything by his word. If God doesn't keep his word, if God doesn't keep his word, his promises, the apostles' doctrine that we talked about, and other things. If God doesn't keep his word, then the whole cosmos will fall apart. Everything God created, all the furniture, everything you have, was created by God. Yes, I understand some things like the chair that you might be sitting on, the, 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 the computer device that you might be listening to. Man has manufactured that. But all the components God created, all the atoms that keeps everything together, God created him. God created the universe. I had a discussion with someone the other day on our web on Facebook that we talked about how, how man created science. Man didn't create science. God created science. And God created man with the intellect to understand science. I'm not going to get off on that uh, soapbox about science. God created everything. God created science. Man's not smart enough to create science. But God has given men the wisdom and the intellect to understand science. Okay? That, that makes sense? I, I know that's just a side point, but I just want to make mention of that. But God created everything by his word. He has all everything on his word. If God doesn't keep his word, everything will fall apart. You don't realize that God doesn't keep his word? That God doesn't keep his covenant with you? That you will just turn to goo. Do you realize that? We have to know that. We have to understand this, but when we understand God and we understand our relationship with God <coughs> on the basis of covenant, then it, will, it changes everything. It will help us mature and it will help us grow. It will ha help us have, which we're going to get into when we talk about prayer. If we, if we understand God on the basis of covenant, we're going to pray differently. Why? 
because we have confidence that God keeps his word. And we're going to be praying based on God's word and based on confidence. But if we don't understand confidence, then we will never understand how to pray. And I don't want to say that differently. If we don't understand covenants with God, then we will never, never understand how to pray correctly, and we will not see results. We're going to get into that a little bit, a little bit later, okay? But yes, we're talking about covenant. But as we're talking about covenant, and the covenant relationship, and God in this covenant relationship wants to break bread with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. See, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My favorite verse. Everything we teach on stems from <coughs> that verse. See, the word righteousness means to be in right relationship with God. We could not have a relationship with God because of sin. But he who knew no sin became sin, crucified sin, so that we could excuse me, a right relationship with God. God made a covenant so that relationship with Him could never be broken. That's huge. My relationship with God is not based on what I've done. My relationship with God is based on what He has done. And I have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. And when I receive His propitiation, when I receive His sacrifice, when I received Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, I became a child of God. And I am a relationship with God. And not only am I in relationship with God, but my brother and my sister, who has also done that, is also in relationship with God. That's why Paul says we are to do good with all people, especially the family of God. We are to do good with all people. No one is excluded from us doing good to them on the basis of covenant. But we don't understand God's relationship with us and His covenant and unconditional relationship covenant with us. We will never understand having that with one another. God made a covenant with me. See, go with me real quick there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, we have Paul, and I'm going to talk to the to New King James. Excuse me as I do this. But Paul is talking, this is the context where Paul is ministering communion in the, in the Corinthian church, and he says in the same manner, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, he delivered the mail, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Just do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, when we are breaking bread and we are having communion with God, part of that is taking his cup and it's called the cup of what? The new covenant. And we do this as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. We can do this often. We can continue steadfast. But we are doing this in remembrance of Him. How many of you know 
that we need the continual, steadfast reminder of God's covenant in us. We get busy. We get sidetracked. We have to learn how to detox from this world and be reminded that we are in a covenant relationship with God. I know this is Old Testament, but when David came on the scene of Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, David was no warrior. Even though he had taken out a lion and a bear, and I don't know about you, but part of me would rather fight a Goliath than a lion and a bear. But I don't want to fight either one of those. How many of you have taken out a lion and a bear? Okay? So, but anyway, when David came on the scene, David, just a young boy, was no, was no soldier, was no warrior, but he knew his relationship, his covenant relationship with his God. And that same covenant relationship was also offered to Saul and the whole armies of Israel that were wallowing fear for 40 days. But the, the armies of Israel and Saul trusted their own weakness compared to Goliath in the flesh more than they trusted their covenant relationship with God. But David didn't consider any of that. He only considered his covenant relationship and he, un he understood that because of his covenant relationship with God, Goliath had no authority to taunt and defy the armies of the living God. David had complete confidence in his God and his covenant relationship with God to take out this giant. When we need to understand, well, we, are, we need to be reminded Daily, when we face things that in, in our family, we face things in our society, in our world today, we face things in our bodies and sicknesses and illnesses, we fight things in our finances, we fight things in the world, we need to be reminded that we are in a covenant relationship with God. We need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread be reminded of our covenant relationship with God. And as we are reminded of our covenant relationship with God, we can overcome sickness and lack and different things that this world throws at us. We can have the wisdom of God. We can do, overcome the Goliaths in our life. But we can also build our relationship with one another. Because the church did communion, not isolated, but the church did communion as a family. You can do it one-on-one -on -one with God. There's no problem with that. But usually communion is done as a community, as a family. We usually do it together as a church, our family, my wife and I. And sometimes when we minister to other people, we do it in the community. That, that makes sense? Okay? <clears throat> but let me make this statement, though. And I've been saying it over and over again. You cannot mature until you see this Growth and maturity develops when you understand that having a covenant relationship with God and a covenant relationship with one another. That makes sense? The covenant relationship with one another that I keep throwing into the equation is a byproduct of our covenant relationship with God. That makes sense? I'm not trying to elevate that over our relationship with God, but 
if you have a covenant relationship with God, it's going to flow out. You cannot hate one another. You cannot shun one another if you have a covenant relationship with God. God does not operate that way. That makes sense? You are not going to have you're not going to have values and principles and desires outside the nature of God if you are in a mature, good, healthy relationship with God. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I'm just reminded of Corrington Boone and the consecration camps. And she said something along these lines. I don't know if I'm saying it verbatim how she said it, but it just... She said, you can do all this... I'm going to paraphrase it in my own word. You can do all that you want to me, but you cannot force me to hate. Why? Because she knew her covenant relationship with God. And based on her covenant relationship with God, Corrington Boom knew that no one could force her to hate even the ones who hated her. That make sense? The source was not her. The source was God, her covenant relationship with God. And even in that horrific uh, scene of the consecration camp and that persecution and all that hatred that was going around, she, by a covenant relationship with God, did not hate her enemies. And she could not have done that in the flesh. She could only do that by the grace of God based on covenant with God. That make sense? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to pick it up verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has attained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he, Jesus says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, or even God says, when, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant. We can't get more specific than that. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, and I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. <coughs> None of them shall, excuse me, shall teach his neighbor, and not his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that he says, a new covenant yet made the first obsolete. Now that what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to dance away. And I want to go back to verse 12. 
For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus being our new high priest, our great high priest. And that God has talked about, and God has made a new, a better covenant with us based on better promises. See, in the Old Testament, God led the people from the outside. For example, the pillar of cloud. But in the New Testament, God leads us from the inside by His Spirit. See, this new covenant that God has made with us is based on His mercy. His new covenant says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's not just a good Christian saying. God has made a covenant of mercy with us. You understand that? This is huge. He says, I will put my law in their hearts. And in their minds. God, and in our hearts and our minds, God wants us to know in our hearts and our minds that God does not remember our unrighteousness and lawless deeds. It's a covenant. And He wants that so branded in our hearts and our minds. This is His covenant. This is His law. It's called the law of his grace, the law of faith. It's, and it, it. Until you see God of mercy with you. That makes sense? You will not grow. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not born again. But if you have received Christ, then you are. But you will not grow and you will not mature in that relationship if you do not understand God's covenant with you based on mercy, based on His grace. God has bounded Himself to you with His word, by His word. He has sworn by His own holiness that He will be merciful to you and that He will not remember your lawless deeds. Personally, in my own life, I never grew, I never matured until I understood God's covenant. And not only do I need to understand it, I had to continue steadfastly in the breaking of bread to be reminded. Because how many know sometimes we, we, we get messed up in this world? But we need to be continually reminded that God has a covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy. We need to be reminded of that daily. See, in my perception, in certain circles where I was taught, I felt that everyone seemed to be telling me that God was always mad at me, that God was always upset with me. I thought that. I thought because of some of the things I was doing wrong and some of the things I was not doing right. 
I grew up with the perception that God was always mad at me, trying to get me. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not getting mad at anyone. And, and maybe that's not what they were trying to teach me, but that's what I perceived. I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm trying to magnify God. And until, but until I got the revelation that he who knew no sin became sin, that I might be the righteousness of God in him, that I might become, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him, I never grew. I never matured. I never saw victory in areas where I was weak. But when I learned the apostles' doctrine, and when I learned, when I learned that God loved me unconditionally through mercy, when I learned that God was merciful to me in my unrighteousness, I began to grow. And I began to mature in my covenant relationship with God. And then I grew in my covenant relationship with God based on everything I just said. I grew in my relationships with other people. You see that? And it's not, it wasn't just a one-time thing. I had to, as the apostles did, thought I had to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking the bread with my God and with one another. That makes sense? And as I did that, anytime I stopped, anytime I got lazy, anytime I got busy, and I didn't continue steadfastly in one or all of those components, I began to wither. I began to grow stale. I began to dry up. I began, I wasn't as sharp and, and good and motivated. But when I was continuing steadfastly in a good, healthy, balanced, spiritual diet of continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and to fellowship and breaking the bread and prayers, which we haven't got into detail yet. I grew and I matured. And I became fruitful, bearing much fruit, abiding in Him, abiding in the body of Christ, and abiding continuing under a covenant relationship with God. And as I continue in this covenant relationship with God, not only did God not remember my unrighteousness no more, but as I was continuing in the covenant relationship with God, I didn't sin anymore. But when I focused on sin, what did I do? I sinned. That's a whole other teaching. I don't have time to go into all that right now. But when I focused on His mercy and I focused on His grace, His grace taught me to deny ungodliness. But when I didn't continue in His grace, I didn't have grace to teach me to deny ungodliness. I tried to do it in my flesh. I tried to do it in my own strength. And that's called pride. And when there's pride, there will be a downfall. Pride will be a snare. But when I said, when I began just to focus on His goodness, his mercy, his covenant relationship with God. When I understood him, when I awoke to righteousness, I awoke to righteousness and sin not. 1 Corinthians 15:34. I let his grace teach me to deny ungodliness. It was based on a covenant relationship with God that I can love my enemies. And I can pray for those who despitefully do things against me. But I couldn't do that in it. And being immature, 
I couldn't do that. But being mature in Christ, I could. That makes sense? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in what? The word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, when we are immature, we're talking about the essence of of spiritual maturity. But when we are immature, most people don't like me talking about that. Most people don't like talking about being immature. <clears throat> but I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I have been immature. Not just naturally, but spiritually. But when we are still babes, when we are immature, one of the main symptoms or one of the main signs or evidences that we are immature, that we are unskilled in the word of righteousness. If you don't understand God's covenant, His mercy, His righteousness, His relationship of righteousness, you are unskilled in that you are a babe. You are immature. Only someone who is mature is someone who is skilled in righteousness, in the word of righteousness. See, like Adam, when Adam sinned, he was immature. When Adam sinned, he ran and hid from God. God didn't hide himself from him. God, Adam hid himself from God. And when I'm immature, not knowing his righteousness, not knowing my covenant relationship with God, that God is not remembering my sins, then I will hide from God too in immaturity. But when I'm skilled in the word of righteousness, even on my worst day, even in my worst act, I will say, Lord, help me. I need your help. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your help to make it right, to do it right. I need your help. That's wisdom. That's maturity. See, God will never withdraw himself from you. God will never defellowship from you. God will never unfriend you like others have. Only the immature do this. We have to renew our minds that God, my Father, my Daddy, my Savior, is merciful to my unrighteousness. God does not condone my sin. God understands that sin in my life is dangerous. I mean, you know, Paul, the apostle, talked about how when we sow to the flesh, of the flesh we will reap corruption. We're not reaping corruption from God. If we sow to the flesh, of the flesh we will, we will reap um, uh, corruption. That is immaturity. See, if we're sowing to the flesh, we are in that instance being immature. God's not going to condone our sin. God understands sin is still dangerous. The wages of sin is still death. But God, we also understand that in maturity, we also understand God is not holding back on me. God is not holding my sins against me. See, when I sow to the flesh, 
I reap corruption. But when I sow to the Spirit, I reap what? Life. See, God's not holding back from me. God is not pouring his wrath on me. He poured out his wrath on Jesus. God's not going to pour out his wrath on Jesus in, in my place and also pour out his wrath on me. That is unfair and unjust to Jesus. Jesus. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for me so that God can be merciful to my unrighteousness. God will never defellowship with me like other people do when I messed up or when they think I messed up. That, when I understood that, that was the beginning of growth and maturity for me. Now instead of making a mistake and feeling bad about it and withdrawing from God like Adam did, once I saw his attitude toward me and my unrighteousness, his covenant of mercy, I began to grow. It doesn't make sense. I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself on purpose. I want us to get this. This is essential for our spiritual maturity. That we understand that when that even when we make a mistake, instead of feeling bad about it and withdrawing from God, it, and once I saw that his attitude towards me and my righteousness was nothing but a covenant of mercy, I began to grow and mature. See, when I grow mature, knowing His grace, I will stop making those mistakes. But if I don't grow mature, if I don't understand His grace, if I don't understand righteousness, if I'm unskilled, I will keep making the same mistakes. Because I don't have the antidote. I don't have the strength. I don't have the source. I don't have any reason not to continue making mistakes. I don't have a teacher. His grace teaches me to deny His name. But when I understand God's covenant of mercy, I keep saying on this because it's important. I can then make a covenant with you based on mercy. When I understand God's covenant relationship with me based on mercy, I then can make a covenant with you. Not based on emotions. Not based on what you deserve. But based on mercy. See, when I understand God's mercy and His covenant relationship with me, I understand that we can work anything out. Because no matter what it is, I've been able to work it out to God. And I don't care what's happened, who's done wrong, or what anything, what anyone has done or not done. I know based on God's mercy, we can work it out. We can fix it. We can, we can, we can deal with it. Not based on emotions. Not based on the flesh, but based on covenant. There, yes, there's a place in maturity, in love of God's kind of love. There's a time to rebuke and reprove and deal with things. And there's a whole teaching of those who won't be repentant. There's a time that we do remove fellowship for a season. In a sense, turning people over to Satan. I'm not talking about that all now, right now. But all that should be done in the spirit of mercy, not revenge. And the 
in the heart of God. And there's a, there's a time for that. But the moment the person is repentant, and Paul did so same did this in Corinthians and and in Second Corinthians chapter two, he 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 talks about how we need to restore the brother who's been repentant. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter six that we need to restore one another gently. That word restore, it means mending. It's like putting an arm in a cast. When I break my arm, I don't cut it off. No, I mend it. I put it in a cast. Yes, I might restrict some activity for a season, but the whole goal is to rehabilitate it. The whole goal is to, to, to mending it and therapy to get it back so it can function like it normally should. I don't cut it off. See, do we, as immature believers at times, when we are offended with people, we cut them off. That is not the spirit of God. That is the spirit of air. First John chapter 4 talks about that. <clears throat> but we are to restore. Those of us who are spiritual, we are to restore one another gently. We are to do good to all people, especially to those of the family of God. Paul talks about that. We, let me just say this. We don't condone what God condemns, but we also don't condemn what God has. We don't condone what God condemns, but we also don't condemn what God has redeemed. Okay? That makes sense? I want to switch, switch gears now. I want to go on to our new category of talking about prayers. Um, I got just about 20 minutes left, so I don't have a lot of time. I don't know how far we'll get. So again, let's go back real quick to our main, our main text here in Acts chapter 2. That makes sense with, with, with covenant, breaking the bread. And again, I just feel like I need to emphasize this again. I'm not trying to elevate our relationship with one another over our relationship with God. But I am trying to teach that our relationship with one another is a byproduct of our relationship with God. And we are breaking bread with God, but we are also fellowshipping. Okay. Going back to Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 42. And with many words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved in this perverse generation. And those of God who received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. <clears throat> okay. Again, once I understood, understood a covenant relationship with God, I also began to understand a covenant relationship with one another, and I began to grow. But I want to look at this uh, passage that we just read again here in Acts chapter 2. I want to read this real quick from the, uh, the Amplified. In the Amplified, it says this, And they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles and the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and the prayers. Uh, there was another reason why I shared, uh, I was going to do that, and I don't have that in my notes. Um, I'll, I'll have that for you That's next week. Hopefully I'm not confusing with that. But, <clears throat> again, I just want to make, make, make note of this one more time. Is that the early church, the first born-again believers, I mean, they, when we're talking about the new, time, new covenant, 
The church is being born. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. They have the Holy Spirit like we do. They are born again like you and I are. They have something that no other generation, no other age has ever experienced being born again. No other age had ever experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the early church did. But the early church, having experienced the finished work of the cross and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and then lastly, prayers. See, when we continue in these things steadfastly and we begin to pray, things begin to happen. See, how many of you know that in Peter's talking to, he says again in verse 40, save yourselves from this perverse or untoward generation. But, <clears throat> how many of you know that we who are in Christ, we are fish going upstream in a world that's going downstream? How many of you know that those of us who are in Christ we are going against the current. We are going against the north. And we need to all the more to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, to breaking the bread into prayers. When we're talking about prayer, and there's a lot I can talk about this subject of prayer. This could be a whole series in just itself. But when we're talking about prayer, we need to learn how God has ordained prayer and the principles of prayer. In other words, we need to understand prayer based on God's terms, not ours. Does that make sense? We need God is the one who has ordained prayer. And we need to understand prayer from God's perspective and God's terms, not ours. In other words, prayer is not begging God. Prayer is not conning God. Prayer is not convincing God. Prayer is not some tug of war with God. <coughs> Prayer is not crying out long enough to hoping God will pay attention. I used to work at retail every once in a while I would see a child doing uh, what I call a demonic fit in the middle of Walmart or whatever the store may be that I was working at, Toys R Us, if they couldn't have a toy or whatever the case may be. And we, prayer is also not doing some demonstrative fit in God, begging God to answer our prayers. I mean, we've seen, we've seen some weird, interesting things through the years. People just having this throwing a fit. That's not prayer. That's not what talking about prayer. Let me just make this statement, and hopefully this makes sense. Wayne Chair made me of this, and hopefully I can make sense of it too. Not all prayer is just prayer. In this sense. I know that, that, that statement doesn't make sense. But in the same way that not all sports are just sports. Meaning, you cannot play baseball with football rules. Or even switch around. You can't play football with baseball rules. You, you, you know, it just doesn't work. Not all sports are just sports. There are different rules or different guidelines for, 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 for different sports to play the game. Okay? You can't play soccer with baseball rules. You know, it just won't work. Now, 
know there's kickball and different things of that nature. But you understand my point? Prayer, there's different kinds of prayers for different kinds of things. For different kinds of needs. But real quick, before I get, uh, I want to develop what I just said a little bit too. Go with me real quick to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, it says, And now it came to pass, as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now we're going to look at Matthew's version of this in just a few moments if we get there today. But the disciples who followed Jesus. Now, keep, keep, this, keep this in mind. Put this in perspective. These disciples were Jesus' most intimate followers in his earthly ministry. They were his most committed followers. And his committed, most committed and most intimate followers saw the need for his, their master, their teacher, to teach him how to pray. John, I mean, even this disciple that approached him said, Lord, teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples. John taught his disciples to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. We as disciples need to learn how to pray. And we need to learn how to pray based on God's terms, not our terms. Sometimes when we do it on our terms, we are trying to play baseball with football rules. We're trying to play a sport on different rules. And we're trying to do it. We're trying to exercise the laws of God's kingdom based on our rules. Again, let me build this point. See, as a Christian, as a disciple, I'm still learning the apostles' doctrine. I'm still learning how to fellowship. I'm still learning how to break bread with God and with one another. I'm still also learning how to pray. Better prayers. At the end of the day, I want to see results. I want to see prayers answered. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see people saved. I want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm still learning how to pray better. I'm still learning how to pray more effectively. But I also have learned that prayer is not complaining with God. Prayer is not begging, crying out to God in that sense. But we need, learn, we need to be taught how to pray, what to pray, where to pray, when to pray, and why to pray. And as we understand these things, it will contribute to our growth and our maturity and our relationship with God. On the contrary, on the opposite, when we don't see an answer to prayer. When our prayers go unanswered, as it may seem, we get discouraged. We get despaired. And our attitude becomes sour. And that prayer doesn't work. God doesn't work. 
Christianity doesn't work. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 13 that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. Jeremy, I get an agreement that we all want to see our prayers work. We all want to see prayer working and being effective. And so we need to allow God to, Jesus, to teach us how to pray. And I, there's a lot I can talk about prayer. And because there's different kinds of prayers for different kinds of reasons. But I want to teach prayer in this study. In the scope and in the focus of our study and how it connects to our growth and our maturity. Because that's what we're talking about. Okay? But again, let me just say this though. There's different kinds of prayers for different situations and our needs. For example, there's prayers of agreement. There's praying in the spirit. There's prayer of faith. There's supplications and prayers. There's intercessory prayer. There's prayers of dedication. There's prayers of thanks. There's fasting and praying. There's public prayers, there's private prayers, there's different kinds of prayers for different kinds of needs. And I could go into all those things of what, when, how, and where, and why, why, why we pray. But I want to talk about prayer. And I just make mention that because prayer, just in general, when we read this, this listing of things in Acts chapter four, 2, verse, verse 42, and they, they continue steadfastly in prayer. A lot of our minds can go on a lot of different levels and avenues and even kinds of prayers. Just like there's different kinds of sports. But I'm, if I was to teach a sport, and specifically baseball, I'm not going to, maybe I'm not going to just teach about sports in general, but I'm going to teach how to play a specific sport. Hopefully I'm making sense with my analogy. But it's just that I want to teach prayer. In this study, on the scope and the mindset of how it relates to our growth and our maturity and our relationship with God. Ultimately, we want to also see our prayers work and see results. That making sense? I don't. I, I hope I, that was beneficial to even go start off that way. The prayer. Let me switch gears. We have a, a few minutes here left. But prayer is, again, ultimately, my bonding between God, and also prayer is bonding with others. We're going to see that as well, in a sense. I mean, you know, let me just say this, because I'm being, I got some puzzle looks for that. When someone reaches out to you, maybe you reach out for prayer, and someone takes the initiative to pray with Maybe they hold your hand, give you a hug, lay hands on you. Maybe just a prayer, say a prayer. How many of you are encouraged? How many of you are touched? How many of you are inspired? How many of you are comforted by the fact that someone took the initiative to pray for you? Our prayer bonds with one another. There is a bonding. How many of you ever got offended because someone didn't pray for you? Or they forgot to See, prayer, prayer affects everything we do affects God and affects other people. Okay? That's not my main point that I'm trying to get to. But let me just make one other thing, one other statement here just before we can turn into more things. I know we're almost out of time. 
like I get ready for today. But let me just say this. Dwayne Sheriff says this, and I think it's worth being said. What God does in me by grace, I cannot mandate by law to other people. For example, let's say you get up every morning at 2 a.m. to pray. That just you, you that just works for you and God. That's a good time. That's your best time. It's worked for you. Just because God's doing waking you up every day at 2, 2 a.m. to pray by His grace doesn't mean you can mandate that everyone else needs to get up at 2 a.m. to pray. Does that make sense? What God's doing in you by grace. Now, should we all have a time for prayer? Should we all have a time for God? Yes. But we are not in the business of mandating when and how that does. The way my wife and I has a relationship might not be the exact same way you have a relationship with your spouse. We don't mandate that. And I, it's not a major point I want to make, but I just want to say it. Because sometimes when we get into I've heard different pastors and different people preach to you that we have to get up early in the morning. Or we have to pray late at night. Or we have to pray, you know, there's not a there's not a mandate of when and where and how to pray in that sense. But more importantly, I want to teach the principles of prayer and, and how we how we relate to God and how we see results. That makes sense? I know some of these other things are not major points, but I just have to feel like I need to throw that out there. But ultimately, I want to get to the, in one sense, I keep using that word ultimately, but it just, and one of the main things I want to get at, we, why do we pray? I can talk about how to pray, where to pray, different kinds of prayers. I'm not going to go into all that with this teaching. But I do want to emphasize this part, why do we pray? We pray because prayer works. It matters. Prayer Makes a difference. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. There's a bonding in prayer with us. There's a partnership. There's a koinonia. There's a partnership with us, with God in prayer. And it's also, there's a bonding between us and other people. Let me even ask the question in this way. Why don't we pray? Why do some of us not pray? There might be different reasons, but some of the reasons I know some people don't pray because some people don't really believe it matters. Some people, and, and, and I'm going to open a whole can of worms with this, and we're going to come back next week and, and, and deal with some of this. But there's also, in some religious circles, um, they have, there's a misconstrued teaching about the sovereignty of God that, that, that believes that whatever will be, will be. There's a teaching out there that says there's a lot of things happen because God allowed it. But just because, church, and I'm going to teach on this uh, at the beginning of our teaching on this, just because God allows certain things doesn't mean it's God's will. Just because He allows it. Prayer, we pray because prayer makes a difference. God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, God has given us a responsibility and has ordained us to pray. Because those who say that just because God allows something is his will, well, God didn't allow, allow murder. I mean, God didn't, it's not God's will for people to murder. It's not God's will for people to be abused, molested, or raped. Just because 
God in his sovereignty allows things to happen. And it says God doesn't micromanage. God gives people a free will. Doesn't mean it's God's will for things. Everything that's going on in our world is not based on the sovereignty of God. People have rejected God. For example, in the garden, God created two trees. And one of those trees, God told man, do not eat of it. Again, we just talked about God's word is his covenant. And he has bound himself and his word to his covenant. And God gave them the authority. He delegated authority. But he also told them, do not eat of this tree. He was very specific. But when they disobeyed him, he held them accountable to what they did. And when the consequences came, he gave them, he gave, he made them accountable. But how many of you know that God did not blame himself for allowing them to eat the tree? That he told them not to eat. But when uh, uh, running out of time, so perhaps I shouldn't have opened this door too early because I'm going to bring this out and begin to the Lord's Prayer. Let's go real quick though in Matthew chapter 6. I want to diffuse a couple of things because I want to end, a, end on a positive note. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, beginning with verse 9, this is uh, actually. Jesus' version, I mean Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, but let me actually begin with verse 8. We'll come back here and read some more things next week. In verse 8 it says, Therefore do not be like them, Jesus said, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. In this manner therefore pray. And I'm not going to read the whole Lord's Prayer. But I'm going to read the first two verses. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will. Be done. This is the model prayer that Jesus prayed. He had other model prayers that he prayed too. There's other model prayers that we have in the New Testament, the Apostles' Doctrine. There's a couple, we're going to bring out some other things, but first of all, let me just deal with verse 8 real quick here at the beginning, and we'll, we'll deal with it again next week. But Jesus says, it says, Your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. If God knows what we need, before we even pray, then why do we have to go through the whole exercise of praying? If God already knows, and His sovereignty, and His, 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 his all-knowingness, if God already knows what we need before we ask, then why do we have to go through the exercise of even asking? Because I believe in the process of us asking, God is wanting to build a relationship. God wants us to participate. God wants us to partner with Him. And I'm going to develop that a little bit more next week. But then He goes in and He begins the prayer and says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, I'm going to spend more time with this next week. But Jesus, the fact that He mentioned God as Father, God is introducing a new intimacy with God that most people have never experienced. The world up to this point, the church world, the, the, religion, the, the Jews up to this point, have never related to God as Father. And Jesus is introducing and he's talking about prayer. Prayer is not just an ex a religious exercise. Prayer is a relationship with God. It's communicating with God. 
as our Father. Yes, He's our Creator. Yes, He's God. But Jesus is introducing us to be in a relationship with the Father in prayer. We're going to develop that a little bit more next week, but I want to give the verse 10 just because of some things I've already shared. And again, I'll develop this a little bit more next week as well. But it goes on to, your kingdom come and your will be done. You know, let me just say this. I want to get this part in my notes. Can I just talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God and, 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 and God's will and allowing things to happen. But, see, if we have to pray your kingdom come and your will be done, then things are not just automatic. We make a difference. God, even though God knows the things that we need, He knows the things that are going on in this world, but God and His sovereignty, this kind of goes with the last point we are talking about, covenant. God and His covenant and His word and His sovereignty has delegated to us the authority to pray that His kingdom come and His will be done. If God's will was automatically being done, whatever will be, will be, God's will was automatically being done, then why are we to pray God's will be done? Because God's will is not automatically being done on the earth. The things going on in the world and some of the things even going on in the church are not being done on earth as they are in heaven. God has given us authority to pray that they do, that they are. I'm going to develop that more, more next week. I haven't had time to develop that. I've skipped some notes to get to this point. Am I making sense with any of this? We're going to get into some deeper things about prayer. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to start with in the area about creating a relationship with God. But this whole relationship with God is based on a covenant relationship with God and, and, and prayer. Um, I want to just end on one other note as I close this morning. Hopefully I'm making sense. I feel like I'm ending that a little abruptly tonight. I mean this morning. Prayer, you know, the early church, they continue steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in the prayer. I've already kind of mentioned this, but I want to say this one more time in closing today. That my, my continuing steadfastly in prayer is affected by that three. Let me say it this way. When I pray, and I cling to the apostles' doctrine, I see change. When I pray and find fellowship or agreement in prayer, I see change. When I begin to understand how God relates to me on the basis of covenant, and I pray, I see change. When we are continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking the bread covenant and prayer. We're going to see things change. Everything that's going on in the world is not automatic. It's God's not in control of everything going on. 
God in his sovereignty and delegating some things. But we're all going to see, I'm going to get ahead of myself by saying this, we're going to see in Scripture that God not only gave us the authority to pray, but God has given us the keys to the kingdom. How do you know that keys lock and unlock? God has given us the church the authority to loose some things and to bind some things in prayer. And it's based on the apostles' doctrine. It's based on a covenant relationship with God. His word that he is not, he, 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 he will not break, cannot break. And as we not only pray, but we also come in agreement in that prayer, we're going to see things happen. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see lives change. God has given us the keys of his kingdom. And if you got keys, if you ever had a job you get keys, you got responsibility to, to not only guard those keys, protect those keys, but also to use those keys. Uh, and uh, we, we need to use our keys. God's given us the keys of the kingdom. He has delegated authority to us. And through prayer, it's time for us to start loosening some things. It's time for us to start binding some things. It's time to start seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Well, we worship you. <clears throat> we exalt you. We magnify you. Lord, uh, I know I said a lot of things, especially at the end here, but Lord, I just pray that, Lord, that we understand having a covenant relationship with you. And in that, we begin to understand having a covenant relationship with one another. Lord, I prepare to go the next week. Lord, I think of my God bless you. Have a good one.